I praise God, and I hope that you'll praise God with me. Uh, we are a satisfied people in the Lord. Amen? The Hebrew people that we're studying about today, uh, it was interesting as Michelle O'Brien was giving her testimony, I was thinking, that is exactly where the Hebrew people were. When Michelle O'Brien was 18 years old and she was frustrated with God and she was walking away from God and she couldn't find the answers that she wanted from the Lord and she became frustrated and started to drift and her heart started to walk away from God, that is exactly where the Hebrew people were in Malachi chapter 2. And if you'll remember, if you were here when we started this study, you'll remember I said this to you at the beginning. These Hebrew people were angry with God because they had put an expectation upon God that God was not meeting. And so they were frustrated and their hearts started to drift. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know if you've ever been at the place in your life where you were frustrated with God and your heart started to drift away from God. And one of the first ways that you see that manifested in your life is that you stop giving your best to God. And that's what Malachi is addressing in Malachi chapter 1. But you have to understand something about being frustrated with God and when your heart starts to drift from God. It may very well be true that the first place that you see that to be manifested in your life is in your relationship to God. But make no mistake about it. It is only a matter of time before that bleeds over into your earthly relationships as well. So this morning we're looking at a passage of Scripture that is a continuation of this discussion about what happens when our hearts distance themselves from God, what happens when we get frustrated with God and we stop following Him passionately. Clearly we stop giving God our best, but we also stop giving the people around us our best as well. And so I want to invite you this morning to open to Malachi chapter 2. And if you're new to church and you may be hearing me say the Hebrew people and you may be thinking to yourself, who are those people? Let me tell you who those people are. God chose the Hebrew people and said, I want to bless you and I want to pump my blessings through you into the world. I want you to be my people. I want you to be a priesthood for all the world. I want to give you my love and my commitment and my blessing and I don't want you to hold it. I, as much as I pump into your people, I want you to pass it on to the world and I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. And all the Hebrew people said, oh yes, Lord, be our God. And God said, listen, when we enter into this covenant you have to understand that when you say yes to this covenant when I adopt you as my people when I make you my own it means I set parameters on your life and what your life is to look like oh yes God do that so when we look this morning at the Hebrew people and we see God speaking to the Hebrew people about failing in relationships here's what I want you to understand this is not news to the Hebrew people they had already said yes they had already accepted it. In fact, they accepted it with, with excited hearts. They said, yes, God, we want to be your people. We want you to pour your blessings through us, and we will surrender and joyfully submit to the parameters that you put on our lives. Now, if you have your note sheet, I want you to start with me from the very beginning, and, and, and I want you to see this good news. The good news about relationships is this. And it's a mouthful, I'll say it and then, and then discuss it. God designed key relationships with the appropriate parameters necessary to fulfill the purpose for which they are established. 
the first phrase, God designed key relationships. I want you to understand this morning that God loves you enough and he loves me enough to put into our lives key, important, critical relationships. The people that are in your life, the blessings that that people bring to your life, they're not there by accident. You didn't just happen upon them and it didn't happen by default. God establishes important relationships in our life. God is the one who designed it. God is the one who creates it. Now, as God creates and designs these key relationships, we have to understand, because the Hebrew people were struggling with it, God puts on those relationships certain parameters. And he puts those parameters on these important relationships so that these relationships will fulfill the purpose for which they are established. Now, what relationships are we talking about? Well, we could be talking about friendships. I have friendships with guys in the Lord, and they love Jesus, and, and, and they really are a godsend for me. They encourage me. They lift me up. They, they cheer for me when I need cheering, and they challenge me when I need challenging. And, and God has put those relationships in my life. Friendships can be that way. Uh, We're going to look in a few moments and we're going to discover key business relationships can also fit into that umbrella when we look at a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in a few moments. Business partnerships, friendships and business partnerships. Uh, You may connect with the word mentorship uh, rather than discipleship, but this idea that we have relationships in our lives where somebody connects with us on a meaningful way and in a meaningful way and helps us live out the Christian life. The Bible teaches that we're to have two types of relationships. We're to have people in our life that are mentoring us and discipling us and are watching our life. And when they see something go sideways, they say, Zach, listen, man, I love you, but that thing that you did or that thing that you said, I don't know if that's what would happen in somebody's life that's washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we need those types of relationships in our life. But we also need to be that for other people. And so I have people who mentor me and I mentor others. And those are other key relationships. Now it just so happens that in this scripture this morning as we look at what Malachi has to say to the Hebrew people about key relationships in their lives that it's not talking about friendships or business partnerships or mentorships or discipleship. It's specifically talking about the marriage relationship. But now some are here this morning and and you may not be married. And the reason that, that I say all of this up front is because I want you to understand that there are principles that overlap here. Even if you are unmarried today, God still is going to show you some principles and some truth. And another reason that I share this is become some of us are quite dissatisfied either with our past and our marital relationships or, and I don't say this as a joke, but I just mean this as sincerely as I can mean it. Some of you are married and you're unhappy in your marriage. And you need to hear this this morning as well. Because what happens in this scripture is that God through Malachi is going to correct some of the mistakes that the Hebrew people are making, specifically as it relates to marriage. But before we answer that, we ask this question, why does God establish relationships in the first place? I mean, think about that for a second. 
There are plenty of creatures and creations on planet Earth that dwell by themselves and thrive by themselves. They don't have other meaningful relationships like you and I would think about relationships. But look at us. We live in towns. We live in cities. We live in community. We, we live among people. And those of us even here who are unmarried, we still live in what I would call deeply meaningful relationships with other people. You see, God created us to dwell in relationship. And so from the time that we're young children, we start learning how to play with one another. Some of us haven't learned yet, but we're still working. To the time all the way up to the moment that we die. I have a dear friend who's somewhat of a mentor to me. He shared with me one time his greatest fear is that when the day comes and the moment comes of his death, he'll be by himself with nobody in the room. That's one of his greatest fears. And so even at the moment that we come to close our eyes in death, we hunger and long to be surrounded with people that are meaningful to our lives. But why? Why do we need to have established relationships in our lives? If you're making notes this morning, you'll notice in your notes that this is actually one of the questions that we want to answer. Why are these relationships established? And my note says to glorify God through physical and spiritual flourishing. And what I mean by that is that it's true that I have my own personal relationship with God. I spend time in God's word. I spend time in prayer. I spend time walking with God. But I am not who I am today because of my individual actions. I am where I'm at with God today because of the brothers and sisters in Christ who cheer for me and who pray for me and, and who encourage me and, and who spend their life building into my life. And some of you, thanks be to God, you're where you are today because the people sitting around you spent time loving you and praying for you and encouraging you and sharing scripture with you. So the point that I'm making is we flourish best according to the design of God when the relationships that God has placed in our life are glorifying to God. Now you see the note, God's people needed two corrections with two of these parameters, and we're going to look at those this morning. And we're going to understand this morning where the Hebrew people went wrong when they said, yes, God, we want you to be our God, we want you to be our leader, we want you to be our conqueror, we want you to be our victor, we want you to be everything. Yes, we accept you, we accept your parameters. Yes, amen, this is awesome. Then they got frustrated with God, and they no longer wanted to live according to the parameters that God placed on those relationships in two specific ways. Number one, the demand for common faith. God commanded the Hebrew people that when they go to pick husbands and wives, that they pick husbands and wives within the community of faith. So if you were walking with God, if you were in covenant with God, when it was time for you to start thinking about marriage, and we have some young people here today, you're thinking, Ew, I don't want to think about that. Don't think about it right now. You don't have to think about it right now. But some of us do and have, 
And God's point was this. Look, when it's time for you to think about and pray about who your life's partner is going to be, you need to make sure that they are as committed to me as you are. That's what the scripture says. And so look with me in Malachi chapter 2. We're going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. And we are going to see that God speaks a word of correction to the Hebrew people because they stopped doing this. So on the list of non-negotiables for God's people, it used to say, must be a follower of God. And in their frustration, they just crossed that off. They just said, no, it doesn't matter about that anymore. And we see that uh, here in chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Here's what Malachi says. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Those are rhetorical questions. Uh, the, the prophet asked them, and we supply the yes. Uh, have we all not one father? Yes. Has not one God created us? Yes. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this and who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So there's a demand for common faith here in the Old Testament, and, and this goes way back beyond the book of Malachi. This goes all the way back to the when God adopted and established his people. He said, look, you are going to continue this faith from generation to generation. Part of what that means is that you make sure that when you take husbands and wives, that you take them from the umbrella of this faith. Now, this is not foreign to those of us who are Bible studiers, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul gives the church this command. Do not be unequally yoked to non-believers, or some of your translations say to unbelievers. And he goes on to talk about how that's an inappropriate uh, yoking uh, for a believer and a non-believer to be yoked together or to be bound together or to be tied together or be connected together in a meaningful and significant way. Now, if you studied the Word of God before, and if you've gone through a, a study in 2 Corinthians, you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Zach, that text in 2 Corinthians isn't explicitly or specifically talking about marriage. And I would say you're right. That's exactly the point. So if Paul is saying to people just in general, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't connect your hearts at that deep and meaningful and intimate way in like uh, the deep, deep friendship or business partnerships or mentorships or whatever it may be. Imagine what Paul must think when it comes to marriage. Don't be unequally yoked. And I know the question is why. And I know that, you know, some of us in here are sitting on the edge of our seats because you want to honor the Lord and you are leaning into this today because you hope to be married or maybe you're a newlywed and you are leaning into this and some of you are on the edge of your seat because you're worried about the people who are sitting around you uh, because we come to a service like this with a history. 
And you may be thinking to yourself, oh, Pastor Zach, please be careful. Please be careful what you say today about marriage and the kingdom of God. I promise you I'm going to be careful. I promise you that we don't want to hurt anybody's heart today. But if God thinks that marriage and relationships in the kingdom of God is important enough to write it over and over and over in the Bible, we have got to look at it. So the question is, why is this so important to yoke ourselves with other believers? And so what I want to do, and if you're taking notes this morning, really what I'm about to do is I'm going to share with you my three reasons. Now, these are biblical reasons. You've got to go to different places in the Bible. But I'm just sharing with you as, as I began the process of praying about who my life partner was going to be, who, who I would be a companion to for the rest of my life. These are three reasons that for me, I could never take off the list of non-negotiables. This person must be a, a follower, passionately in love with Jesus Christ. The first, I'll just say it this way, personal allegiance. The reality is, is who you ever, whoever you marry has profound influence on your life. Oh, whoever you spend your time with has a profound influence over the things that you think about, the way that you think about them, the things that you love, the things that you hunger for, the things that you pursue. When you connect your heart with somebody else's heart or when you connect your mind with somebody else's mind or when you connect your home with somebody else's home, they are going to have a huge influence on what your future looks like. And I know that, that sometimes we don't think that that's a big deal because sometimes we misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. And so some of us kind of come to this thinking that Christianity is simply uh, intellectually believing a set of doctrines. No. Embracing the gospel is embracing putting Jesus Christ before literally anything else in our lives. That means that if Jesus doesn't come before my wife in my life, I am in sin. And if, and, if, and if my wife, Crystal, if she were to put me before Jesus, she would be in sin. So we have this agreement. We're never number one, and we're never number three. Two is the perfect spot for each other. I don't want to be her number one, and I don't want to be her number three. And she doesn't want to be my number one, and she will not be my number three. And the reason that this is so important is because the gospel of Christ demands our everything. And so as I was thinking about and praying for and saying, oh God, please send me to someone. Send me someone. Do whatever you do, God, in heaven and bless me with the spouse as I was praying through that. I knew that my spouse would have to be a believer because my position before Jesus was total and utter allegiance. And I did not want to connect my heart with anybody that would take me away from that. And so that's personal allegiance, like what happens inside of me. But the second is a community impact. A community impact, I guess you could write it, not what happens inside of me, but what happens around me. You see, I've discovered in my life that when 
the household is under the banner of Jesus Christ. It is a, it is a shining gospel lighthouse. Now, for those of you who are unmarried at this point, this is still true for you. This is still something for you to think about, that my faith isn't just about what happens on the inside of me. It's about what I establish in the world around me and how God uses me in the world around me. And my home, my home is a lighthouse. It is a place of refuge and it is a place of gospel truth for the people that live around me. And if I'm living a life where the allegiance to Jesus is split in my home, that's going to be really hard to establish that lighthouse in my community. As I was thinking about this point, getting ready for this message, I wrote down this note. If it's helpful for you, write it down. It says, what is, what is happening in your home on a daily basis, what's happening in your home on a daily basis is far more impactful to the world than what is happening in this room on a weekly basis. What's happening in your home on a daily basis is far more impactful to the world than what's happening in this room on a weekly basis. And that's why I want to make sure that the person that I'm spending the rest of my life with is a surrenderer to Jesus like myself, a follower of Christ, so that it can be everything, that our home can be everything that we want it to be for Jesus. So personal allegiance, what's happening on the inside of me, community impact, what's happening around me, and third, legacy impact, what happens after me. The greatest privilege I have as a spiritual shepherd, is that I get to disciple my kids to follow Jesus. There's no greater thing in my life, and I love each one of you, and I love being your pastor, but being a shepherd and watching my kids follow Jesus is the greatest. And some of you feel this because you desperately want to disciple your children as well, which is why it's important for us to establish our homes where two believers are so that there's no doubt about who our kids are going to follow. Legacy, impact, what happens after me? Now, if you look in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, he even mentions that, that that's one of the specific purposes for which God set out that his people would marry people in the faith. In verse 15, it talks about, uh, did he not make them one with a portion uh, of the Spirit in their union? And, and what was this one God seeking? What was he seeking? He was seeking godly offspring for the faith to continue down through the ages. And that happens best in a believing home. And so this morning, as we're looking at Malachi, and we know that these uh, Hebrew people have already said yes to the parameters, but their hearts have started to shift, and, and they've started to, to walk away from God. And we saw it first because they stopped giving their best to God. But not only did they stop giving their best to God, they stopped giving their best to one another. And they went really, really lax on the types of deep, meaningful key relationships that they brought into their life 
and they started violating the parameters which God placed on the marital covenant. And I think that's important for us to notice that the Bible talks about marriage in terms of a covenant. You know, in our culture today, we often see marriage as really nothing more than going down to the old courthouse and writing out a legal document and signing it and stamping it and taking a picture so we can post it to social media, right? And, and sometimes, like, we think that that is the extent that marriage exists in the court systems. And I want to understand this morning, and I want to help you understand this morning, that that is not the biblical view of what marriage is. It isn't designed by the court system. It's designed by God. And all the way back, even into the Old Testament, God knew that the marriage relationship was so important that he consistently spoke to his people about it. Because he knew, God knows that when we get it right, it's glorious and beautiful. And when we get it wrong, it is gut-wrenching and painful. And so every prophet would speak to the people about the importance of marriage. And we're reading this morning in Malachi chapter 2 where God faithfully once again speaks to them about marriage. So God's people needed correction with two of these parameters. First, the demand for common faith. That's verse 11. If you want to look into the New Testament, you can write down 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. That's where Paul says to the church, do not be unequally yoked to other unbelievers. But the second place that God's people needed correction is in the permanence of marriage. You see, what had happened uh, in, in Malachi is that not only had they started selecting partners for life that God had not blessed, but now the ones that, that were in the faith, they were deciding they were no longer relevant, so they were getting rid of them. So look with me, if you would, starting in verse 13. And this second thing that you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now, what's happening there? Like, if you don't have a background in the Old Testament, this may be super confusing for you. Here's what's happening. God is saying to his people, I'm not pleased with you. You can come and weep at the altar all you want, but the way that you're living your life outside of the temple tells me that you don't care about following me. So bring all your tears that you want, but when you're at the altar weeping and crying and saying that you value me and the way that I've established your life, you're lying to yourself because the way that you live your life is preaching to me that you're not serious about being a people of God. That's what he's saying. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and you weep and you groan because God is no longer regarding your offering. But you say, why? Why does God not offer? Why does God not regard my offering? Because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So what, what the prophet is saying to the people that Malachi is speaking to, he's saying, listen, do you want to understand why your relationship with God is not where you want it to be? Because your relationship to the people that you've made a covenant with under that God is not where it needs to be. You have forsaken the relationships that God has placed in your life. You have 
for no good reason other than loss of interest, you have begun divorcing the covenantal partners that you stood before God and said, I pledge my life to this person. So the permanence of marriage is the second way that God's people needed to be reminded of the importance of kingdom relationships. Now I know, I know that these two teaching points are kind of foreign to our modern culture. And I realize that. And I realize that there are people here this morning uh, who have that as an experience in their background. I realize that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to answer the question, why is marriage and the permanence of marriage so important in the kingdom of God? Why does the Bible talk about it over and over and over? I want to explain that. And to explain that, let me take a step away from just talking about marriage. Let's just talk about something else. Uh, Because what I want for us to realize this morning is that when God, who designed something to be permanent, then when we treat it like temporary, it is always going to be painful for us. Anything that God designs to be permanent, when we treat it as temporary, it is going to bring pain and suffering into our world. I mean, Michelle O'Brien told the testimony that when she was 18 years young, part of her rebellion stemmed from watching what was supposed to be permanent, be temporary, and watching and experiencing her parents go through divorce. So it's not as though like the Old Testament is the only place that can teach us this. The New Testament does, our own experiences do. But even like logic, so think about this. Think about, think about a, a heart replacement. If you needed a heart replacement and you went to the surgeon and some, there was a heart there for you and, and you went under anesthesia and when you woke up, the doctor was just smiling from ear to ear going, it was a success. We successfully gave you a heart transplant. Now, go and be well. And you go and be well. And you live life and have coffee with your friends and worship at the church and serve God and do the stuff that you do. And then let's say three years later, you're sitting down at your table one day and you're just pondering life. And you say to yourself, you know, I'm in a new place these days. And I just don't really know that the commitment that I made to a new heart three years ago is really something that I want to continue with. I think I'm going to go back to the doctor and say, you know, Doc, I know that you meant this heart transplant to be permanent in me, but why don't we just call it temporary? Like, why don't you just go ahead and reverse this? There's some paperwork that I can sign, and we'll just undo all of this important permanent work that you've done in my life. Now, clearly, you would think about that and go, do you understand the consequences of what you'd be talking about? This is exactly my point. We are making theological covenants with a holy God, and we don't understand the implications of what it means when we choose to make something permanent to be temporary. That's the issue. That's the whole issue. And let me illustrate it this way, because whenever I'm struggling with something theological and to really understand it, 
I always go to uh, playing with objects. <laughs> so here are two tin foil. I learned in the first service that we say foil in New England and not full, like those of us from the South do. So, Kathleen, this is not aluminum foil. It is aluminum foil. And uh, let's just say that each heart represents one person and they're just, mm, you know, they're so in love and they're going to get married, okay? So this is what happens emotionally, theologically, practically, logistically, in every area that you can count it, this is what happens when you get married. You take two. Now, uh, the Bible teaches that when you're married, two become one. So you take two, and you overlap them, and you make them become one. And there is this holy and glorious ball of oneness, and we look at this and go, how cute is that? That's so cute. And then one day, we start thinking, wait a second. I'm in a new place now. Like, I'm not who I was anymore. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to do this because I, hadn't, I haven't planted anybody out there. But like, let's just say I asked you to come up here this morning and take this ball of aluminum foil of two hearts and try to undo it. What would happen? You would literally tear the two hearts to shreds trying to unravel it and that is exactly the point is that when two people come together as one God is saying to his people what are you doing why for no reason other than you just get tired of somebody would you try to take something that is permanent and make it temporary and in your seeking to undo it you are literally shredding people's lives. And this is not new for the Hebrew people. They already knew this. But their hearts shifted away from God. And so they stopped caring about it. That's why, that's why marriage is to be permanent. Because when we try to unravel it, it shreds people. Now, I want you, before we do some practical application, I want you to notice something that we've already said, but for note's sake, we'll just say it very specifically and explicitly. Uh, notice that failure here impacts meaningful relationships with people and with God. In other words, our marital relationships and either the success or failure of them doesn't just affect either me and other people or me and God. It affects both. In fact, verse 10, if you go back and look at verse 10, like the very beginning of this teaching, you see it in there. We've, we've got one Father. We've got one God who created us. Look in verse 10. Why then are we faithless to one another? This is very much so talking about failing, uh, impacting our relationships with one another. 
And it goes on to say, profaning the covenant of our fathers. There's we're talking about our relationship to God. And so this intimate, vulnerable, powerful relationship that we call the marriage covenant is so life-altering in our life that failure impacts both our relationship with the people around us and it also impacts our relationship with God. And so we come to the end of the message and we say, okay, so that's what Malachi said to the Hebrew people, but what about me or what about us like what about my story and where I've come from and so I just want to share with you um, some realizations this morning I, I know that this message opens up many questions for us you know as you hear me teaching two things are at play some of us this morning are listening to this message with the knowledge in the back of our head that there's a lot of other texts in the Bible that talk about marriage. And so as you hear me walk through Malachi chapter 2, you're thinking about what you remember from other passages, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, Paul says this, Jesus says this, Peter says this, and, and, and what about this? And, and, and so you have a lot of questions about how all of this, to use the pun, marries itself together, and you have a lot of questions, which illuminates the fact that we haven't said everything that there is to say about how to view marriage biblically. We've only said some. But then there are some people who have questions, not because of their extensive knowledge of the Word of God, but because you would be honest and say, I don't know anything about the Bible. I just know the experiences that I bring to this conversation this morning. And you're saying things to me, Pastor, that I've never thought about. And quite frankly, my existence up to this point really has been contradictory. And so I have a lot of questions. Well, one of the things that I was really sensitive to as Michelle O'Brien was sharing her testimony was the fact that she had a lot of questions and she didn't feel like she could find answers. So she got frustrated with God and she ran from God. I have a friend right now that I talk with on a regular basis and uh, her testimony to me is that one time she was talking to a pastor and asking those questions and he finally just shut her down and, and she had to move on and, and she's been searching every since. And so my heart as a pastor and the fellowship's heart as a whole is that the fellowship is a place where you can ask real true, hard questions about where you're at in the kingdom of God and what the Bible teaches about what life looks like according to God's vision. And this is a safe place to find answers. So I realize in 30 minutes, you can't possibly say everything there is to say about biblical marriage. But can I just tell you that this is a place for you to ask the questions. I want you to know that to the extent that this message has raised questions for you today, what if or how about, but I want you to ask them. I want you to ask your questions. I want you to find biblical answers to the questions that you have. But this message 
also opens up not just a lot of questions, but a lot of emotions. You know, I mentioned to you a few moments ago that some of you are on the edge of your seat going, oh, pastor, please, 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 go easy, because I know that my friend is here, and their background is one of really troubling marriage life. Listen, I know that there's a lot of emotion. And as I preached the last hour and this hour, I look out and lock eyes with many of you that I know. You have struggled through uh, what the scripture teaches about marriage. Some of you have victimized other people. Some of you have been victimized uh, with your past relationships. And I realize that. I realize that there's a lot of emotion here. But I, I want for everybody who doesn't have that experience to comprehend something. The people in this room this morning or online that's worshiping with us that have been through hard seasons in, in their marital covenant, they want us to talk about these things. Like inside, yes, it is painful for some people to listen to this message today because their history has been one where uh, perhaps they were married to somebody who didn't treat the marital covenant like a covenant, more like a suggestion. And when that spouse got tired of them, they moved on and it created great pain in their heart and the heart of their family. And they are the very ones excited that we're looking at this text today. Yes, it hurts. But tell the truth, Pastor. So I know that there's a lot of emotion today. And I just want to tell you this from you, Pastor's heart. It is not my motive to bear down on you today and make you leave feeling pain for what God's word says. But instead to remind you that from the very beginning of time, God is keenly aware that in our marital covenant relationships, when they're right, they produce so much flourishing. But when we treat them badly, they create a lot of pain. He says it thousands of years ago to the Hebrew people through Malachi, but that's not the first time that he says it. He said it over and over and over through Scripture. So I know that there's a lot of emotion. I know that there's a lot of question. And I know that there's a lot of challenges as you listen to this message today. Some of you are here today uh, unmarried. And you may be unmarried because you have lived according to Malachi chapter 2. You have refused to say I do to anybody who refuses to live their life under allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that's created difficulty for you. That's created a challenge for you because you have it in your heart to be married, to find that companion. I affirm you. I affirm you for choosing to live single rather than bury somebody who isn't under the blood of Jesus. Young people who are here today, you're thinking, I don't want to talk about marriage. But listen to me. I want you to remember for the rest of your life, young people, 
that the word of God teaches you so much about how to seek and find the person that God would have for you. I plead with you, young people, search the Bible to discover when you're ready, when you're interested in it, how to do it correctly. And then I know there's a lot of challenges for us because some of us are in relationships right now and they're not flourishing. Uh, they're gray, they're dull, they are withered on the vine uh, in your mind and heart. And realistically, uh, in a room this size, uh, we're studying this text with people who are even thinking about ending their marriage right now. And so God's word is just speaking a word to you this morning and it's challenging your perspective. It's reminding you of the importance. I realize that today this text is a very relevant, very tender, very important one. And I just hope that you know it's delivered with the spirit of love because I want you to flourish in the kingdom of God. And God's word truly speaks about every single topic that we could possibly wonder about. And today, God's word spoke to us about the importance of kingdom relationships. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would. We're going to close our time with prayer. And online and here in the room this morning, I ask you just to bow. Between you and the Lord this morning, would you take a second and just focus on the part of this message that was very relevant to your heart, the place where God really grabbed your attention, whether you're married or unmarried, in a thriving relationship or in one that's struggling. Malachi 2 speaks to all of us. Before I pray, I want to give you space to just allow the Word of God to shape your perspective. Father, we, uh, we yield to you. In moments like this where many of us bring our experiences into this room uh, from our past, from our history, many painful and to hear verse 16 where you declare I hate divorce we echo that many of us are living through the pain of that and by your grace and power you've moved us forward 
And where some have been faithless to us, you have been faithful. And you have filled us with goodness. And you have reminded us that even through tough circumstances, your spirit carries us along and carries us forward. grace holds us now. And Lord, as we close our time this morning of corporate worship and we go back to our homes, we are reminded and celebrate that more impact happens than what happens in our home on a daily basis than what happens here weekly. And so help us to protect and foster and nurture Christian homes where the empty tomb is the most important thing. Help us to love our spouse as well. For those who are unmarried, help us to love our deep friend circle well, to be great companions. And help us to, in a moment of tenderness and maybe even pain, to not reject the word of God, but to receive it fully so that we can live it, so that we can walk in it. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness this morning. We pray together in Jesus' name. It's been a good day today of celebrating the presence of God. We appreciate Michelle O'Brien for sharing her testimony. And uh, thank God for her focusing us on the power of Jesus. Thank you for being here today and listening to a message that uh, is a tough one to preach and probably a tough one to hear. But God speaks to every area of our life. So thanks be to God that he doesn't leave us guessing. If you're a guest today, we welcome you, and I would love to meet you after the service ends. In about 30 seconds, I'll be right over at this Welcome Center. I would love to say hi to you and learn your name. And if you need a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. We'd love to do that. Uh, those of you who are not guests but regulars here, I remind you of all the great things that we celebrated are, are possible because you are faithful to worship the Lord with tithes and offerings. I encourage you to do that as you go. Or certainly you can do that online, but let's certainly not neglect to be faithful in that area. As we go with the blessing, I invite you to place your hands out to receive the closing blessing this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so, Lord, we pray a special prayer for the peace of Jesus to abide in the hearts of those this morning who would be struggling with exactly what we looked at this morning. Go with them, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.